0: For those of you uh, who have been with us the last, at least last week, we started our Advent series um, with hope. Glenn spoke on hope last week, um, and this week I get to talk about peace, so uh, thank you for joining us. Um, I, this has been a, a trying year for most of us, as you all know, um, so talking about the Advent uh The Advent um, themes—hope, peace, joy, and uh, love—is really pertinent, but also, and I will make sure I stay in the screen. Yep, I got you. It seems really timely and pertinent. At the same time, it probably feels super impossible and really hard um, because there's a lot of things to not be hopeful about. There's a lot of things to lose our peace over. There's a lot of things to not rejoice in, um, and. If anything, especially based off this last election or how you believe COVID's affecting you, it's really hard to love people right now. Um, and I, I know it because I've wrestled with it myself over this last year, and and uh, I, I know some of you have as well, just based on conversations and, and knowing some of you. Um, so this week, talking about peace, I really wanted to make sure I stayed true to peace as part of the Advent theme, but also um, I wanted to try and communicate a specific message. So the title, I'm actually going to take over the slides with my phone. Technology is so awesome. I can run my entire keynote presentation off of my iPhone and just hijack this right here. I think with any luck, maybe there it is. How about that? So this is a, this is our theme this week. Uh, keeping our peace in the age of fear. Um, I'm running out of real estate on my music stand. All right. Oh, no, it's all good. I got it to work. All right. So, yeah, keeping our peace in the age of fear. I'm going to pray and then we'll dive right in. Does that sound good? Cool. (laughs) Man, I thought 9 a.m. was too early. 10 a.m. must be too. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to gather again. Uh, God, may we continue to um, look back at this last year. And, and not take for granted the value of being together. And with that, God, that we, in a timely sense, we got to come back together so as to celebrate Advent. Advent is to literally mean um, anticipation of something coming. So God, would you reset our hearts as a community to anticipate your coming again? As we reflect on your first coming, but also that you are still coming and that your kingdom is breaking in. That Advent is a, is a kingdom long goal that you're still doing, it's an in breaking expectation of your kingdom come. So, God, would you set our hearts and our minds to receive the word this morning? Anything that I preach that's, um, that's bad, would you just let it flush out? <laughs> Anything that's good, may it land on good soil. Um, Throw the baby out with the bathwater, I think, was an old phrase. Anyway, in Jesus' name, amen. Was it that or uh, eat this fish, spit out the bones? Was that a whimper? Don't throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater? Awesome. Okay, well, now that I've loosened you all up a little bit, and it feels a little less like everyone's asleep, uh, let's go ahead and look at our text this morning. John 14, verse 25 through 27. This isn't everything we're going to look at, but this is the... More or less, the meat and potatoes, as I was telling Zoe this week. This is the meat and potatoes of our our passage. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. For obvious reasons, you can guess why we're talking about this passage during the Advent theme of peace. Dead giveaway, it says peace three times in there. So that's pretty obvious, right? Uh, But part of why I wanted to talk about this, based on where we are at, um, here's a statistic that is kind of... Uh, staggering, but at the same time probably doesn't shock anyone. 18% of American adults, 40 million people struggle with some form of anxiety disorder every year. When you think about peace, you think about people being worried or anxious um, and that's when they don't have their peace. And so this is uh, a lot. And this doesn't, again, at the bottom there, not even including kids or teenagers, 18% of adults. And, even though many anxiety disorders are very treatable, uh, the other statistic that I forgot to type on there, uh, only 36% of people receive treatment every year. So that's, I don't know, 36% of 40 million people. That's what? Six million-ish? Don't try. (laughs) I wasn't a math major. Actually, I dropped out of college, so there you go. Uh, (laughs) so So that's pretty staggering, um, so when we talk about peace, it's pretty important because our world today, and some of us in this room, struggle with keeping our peace. Some We struggle with living in a place of peace, um, whether it's through anxiety or whether it's through uh, some kind of fear or whether it's through some kind of trauma or pain or whatever it might be. Uh, we have a a hard time keeping our peace. So I'm going to say up here at the front, I am not going to try and preach some spiritual rah-rah, you know, just trust Jesus and then peace will come. No, there's a really practical side to this that I will make sure to acknowledge. But we also have a responsibility, first and foremost as Christians, to look at the text. The gospel has to be our first source before something else. What Jesus has to say has to be the loudest voice in the room. So when we talk about peace, we have to start with what Jesus says. So anyway, let's dive a little bit further in. Um, I was in Alabama back in May, I think, April or May. Zoe and I went out to Alabama. For those of you that don't know, Zoe is nine months pregnant. uh, And our baby girl, our daughter could be here. Today, if she wanted to. Uh, And at this point, it's just a waiting game and she gets to decide. Um, But we were going to Alabama back in May to tell her parents we even though COVID was going on, we felt safe. we had been doing the right things. Zoe was supposed to go anyway. And we found out we were pregnant. And so I we talked and I got to be there. You know, I got to go. I want to be a part of telling her parents um, all that jazz. So we're in Alabama, and we go out um, to Gulf Shores. It's beautiful. It was really windy, but Gulf Shores is really, really beautiful, fun town to be in. And uh, we're staying at a beach house uh, that her parents uh, clean, but the owners let them stay in from time to time. So we're there, and one of the nights after we've had a really restful day, it's been a really nice day, um, we're going to bed, and uh, for some reason I have a real hard time going to sleep. A real, real hard time going to sleep, and my mind starts going into this weird place. At the time, I'd been dealing with some like acid reflux and like acid issues. Um, how many of you, when COVID first started, admittedly, your diet just took a downward spiral for a little while? I, I, my hand is the yeah. I mean, I was irresponsible with my eating, drink, whatever it was. Like lazy, wasn't working out. Like it kind of just. I don't know, I just decided that I could do whatever I want, and that was going to make me feel better. Well, this story is the example of how that's not true. Um, we, so we go to bed, and I'm having these little issues and stuff, and I can, I can feel the acidic buildup and everything like that. And I'd taken some Tums or whatever, and uh, it's not feeling any better. And I'm not feeling any better. And at this point, I've probably had two or three times for the day. I've drank a ton of water. I just basically stopped eating because I was terrified that it was just going to make it worse if I ate anything else at all. And it's probably 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I've tried reading. Reading would not help settle my mind. I'm feeling really weird. I'm getting really anxious about something's something must be horribly wrong with me. Something's definitely wrong with me. What's going on? I'm going to die. Something's wrong. Like, And it's funny now, but in the moment, I was so sure. I was so sure something was legitimately wrong with me. And Zoe's over there trying to sleep, bless her heart. And I'm keeping her wide awake because I was just a total mess, squirmish, talking a lot, like verbally processing my fear. And I'm freaking out. I'm absolutely freaking out. And I had lost my peace, completely lost it because I was convinced. I was convinced something was wrong with me and something bad was going to happen to me. I had, I had, you know, and I'm not factoring in all these things as I'm laying there that are easy to factor in now, you know, not eating very well, not sleeping a lot, not exercising. I, I just assumed something was horribly wrong with me. So Zoe, in her kindness, sits with me and I ask her to pray for me, and she's trying hard not to laugh at me because she knows that there's nothing, there's nothing actually seriously wrong, but I'm convinced. So I know she's trying to hold back, you know, the amusement of this because she's a, she's a loving and kind spouse and that's what she does. And, um, so she, she prays for me and sure enough, um, as she prays and she speaks peace over me out of a, out of a place of peace that she's in. Cause I'm clearly not, uh, I begin to feel the Lord's peace. I'm reminded of God's promises. I'm reminded of the fact that we're about to have a baby. I'm like, I just don't like, I was able to, she reminded me that the Lord wasn't going to take me away before I got to, have to father my daughter. Like that wasn't going to happen. And uh, even though I had gotten super anxious, it was like, how do I describe this? For most of you who know me, I don't get anxious. I, like if you've been around me, I don't worry a whole lot about stuff. Unless you tell me, hey, I got to talk to you, but we got to do it later. <laughs> Any of where are you at? Yeah, worst, worst thing you can say to me is says, hey, listen, Brogan actually had to do this with me earlier this summer about something. He goes, hey, bro, we got to talk to you. We got to schedule a day for it. I'm like, no. So I'm sitting there just drawing up the worst scenarios in my head about what it was. And it was, it was him and Kyle checking on me to see how I was doing. But I was just convinced it was like they found some sin in my life or they were seeing some super sinful pattern and they wanted to make sure that I was, you know, getting right with the Lord and they were holding me accountable. And I'd been building it up in my head as this horrifying thing. Zoe probably remembers this, too. I would built it up as like this awful thing that they were trying to talk to me about. So the only time I get anxious is when you tell me, hey, I, I got to talk to you about something later. I hate that so much. Otherwise, I don't get very anxious. I don't get very worried about stuff. It normally just rolls right off my shoulder. So here I am having this anxiety attack and it was it felt like a legitimate anxiety attack. I started to breathe faster, my chest was tight. I was still having my little acidic issues and stuff like that. And Zoe prays for me and as she's reminding me of the things that God is doing in our life, my mind starts to get a little more at ease. Hi. Finally, able to rest a little bit, I read a little more. Zoe finally falls asleep because she's so tired of trying to help me out. Bless her again, um, and I I finally felt at rest, and I I fell asleep. Felt a lot better the next morning. What's the point of all of this? Well, I had lost my peace, and I would lost my peace because I hadn't been being obedient. But why does that matter? Well, let's let's take a deeper look at the text. I don't know what happened to my. Uh, Slides, let me fix that. I think. <laughs> Got it. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> All right. We're going to go a little further back into the text for us to understand John 14, 25, 27. We really need to look back at verses 15 through 24 to explain to us what Jesus is talking about. When he says, my peace, I give to you. I give you a peace that the world cannot give. Do do not let your hearts be troubled. How do we arrive there? Well, let's look at verse 15. We'll start from there. If you love me and keep my commands, Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We're going to pause there for a second. So here's this great concept Jesus has of peace and everything like that. My peace I give to you. Again, the spiritual rah-rah. And some of us have heard this before from the pulpit at other churches, where it's like, well, Jesus gives you peace. And if you just seek Jesus enough, and if you just, uh, you know, I don't even know how people justify just saying, Well, you know, as long as you have a relationship with Jesus, you have peace. And then a bunch of us have a bunch of anxiety issues. A bunch of us have depression. A bunch of us go through. And it's just like, that's not practical. Like, how? How do I keep my peace? How am I supposed to do that? This is 2020, and we live in Portland, Oregon. Nobody is going to just take the surface level of, my peace I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Like, No one just sits there and goes, yep, totally believe it. I'm set. I'm good. Like if any of you are around people who are non-believers or don't follow Jesus, the first thing they'll do is take a needle and poke a hole right in that little balloon. Because the first thing they want to know is, how am I supposed to do that? What's the practical steps? What's that look like? What's that supposed to be? So why we care about this is because it's not enough just to tell people or not enough just for us to try and tell ourselves, well, Jesus gives me peace, so my heart shouldn't be troubled. We know that that's just not reality. Like that's just not how it works. We live in the now and not yet of a kingdom. So we experience God's now moments, but we also experience a lot of not yet. We experience moments of peace, but we don't experience it all the time. So what's Jesus trying to say here? He continues on. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So throughout this first chunk of the of the passage here, 15 through 21, uh, Jesus says some weird stuff. That probably doesn't quite work. He basically says, yeah, my ghost is going to show up and live in you quite literally. Talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the part where Calvinists would probably leave. This is the part where uh, Sadducees back in the day would probably leave because this is... Sadducees don't believe in resurrection, by the way. So the whole idea of Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit living inside someone, that's just so far off the radar um, that that wouldn't be a part of this. He says some weird stuff. Jesus starts to really lose people when he starts explaining this template of of peace and what it means to have God in us and giving us peace to keep and a peace that we can keep. And then he... uh, he keeps going, and he says, "The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them." Verse twenty-two. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but said, uh, "Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed Jesus." So it's the other Judas. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Verse twenty-three. Jesus replied, "I'm actually just going to read up here and be a lot easier." Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. If there's one thing that 2020 has proven, it's this. Our society and most people, including Christians, including myself, cannot stand being held accountable or being told what to do at all, <laughs> outside of like being at work. The, and I, again, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else, so I'm not pointing any fingers, and if I am, it's also me included. But we live in a culture right now that celebrates self-independence to a toxic level, to the point where if it costs what i believe to be true then i just don't want to hear it and there's absolutely no merit whatsoever. And what's Jesus say? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. This is why we talk about Jesus being countercultural. Jesus comes into the world, steps into the scene, steps into the ugliest and the lowest and the most far off and the furthest away, but the one thing that makes him most countercultural isn't just who he hangs out with, it's also him saying, obey me. And right now we live in a culture where progressive Christianity takes this book and says, well, I like this part, the Sermon on the Mount is good. Oh, yeah, the Beatitudes is good. Oh, obey my teaching. Well, that part's not relevant. That's what we started to do. We started to take parts of the Bible that justify how we feel and what we want to believe is true. And then we've taken other parts and said, nah, I don't like that part. It makes me uncomfortable. And then we wonder why we don't have peace. I know I really just went, <laughs> I know, I, I know I just went from, you know, we're having a good time, Tuck had an anxiety attack to, oh, wow, now we're really, <laughs> I'm mad at him a little Maybe a little angry. That's okay. That's okay. Cause that's not the end of the story. The tension is in that place that we just mentioned. The tension of keeping our peace is in that place of the world. And it says it in the previous, where is it? The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And, uh, Later on, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. The world will not see me or hear me. The world is going to keep tugging us towards toxic independence. And Jesus is going to lovingly and kindly and gently, through the advocate of the Holy Spirit, like he talks about, pull us towards obedience. Zoe just waved my hand to make sure I got back in the camera. (laughs) Uh, and this is this is where we, we run into the how. How do we keep our peace? And Jesus, as we get closer and closer to that verse 25 through 27, which is a really well-known verse. Most everybody's pretty familiar with it. This verse 23, I'm going to read it again along with verse 24. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. The moral of this, the heart of keeping our peace in an age that is living in fear and it's all around us, we all know it. Every day, any of us that go to work, if you have to still go to a place of work, look at everything we have to do for COVID right now. Masks, glove, hand sanitizer. I got a thirty minute timer at work that goes off every thirty minutes to make sure we're washing hands. Like I've got a boss who is anxiety driven up the, up the wazoo when it comes to, um, how it's affecting our work. I have some coworkers who don't care at all. And then some coworkers who are freaked out about everything. Coworkers that need to take leaves of absence, like fear is everywhere. We live in an age of fear during the last election. There were people on both sides of the political aisle that just swore that if Joe Biden won, that meant it was going to be a demonic thing over our country. I saw it. This guy I know, I respect, and I trust, said it was demonic that Joe Biden would be the president. Flip side, we demonized Donald Trump so much to the point that Christians believed that if you had any like Republican or conservative view, you actually weren't following Jesus. We did this to each other. We would demonize. Christians would demonize one another. Fear was so rampant that we started looking at our brother and sister and saying, "Ah, I think the devil's near you," or something like that." That's what we did. We, became, we were so fearful of certain ideologies or certain political figures or certain things happening, we got so caught up in it that a lot of us lost our peace. And I'm not going to preach some "Jesus is still on the throne" message. That is true, by the way, just FYI. But I'm not ignorant. I'm not silly. Let's go back to my story about when I lost my when I lost my peace. Part of why I lost my peace, and again, hindsight's 2020. So awesome. So nice. I look back now, and again, wasn't eating well, wasn't drinking well, no exercise. And then of course I start having my body starts to react and starting to let me know, like, hey, stuff's not right. You're not not feeding me things or exercising me in a way that's going to keep my body at peace. It's funny how that works. When I wasn't obedient to the disciplines that I needed to keep my body right, my body started to get, get funky. Things started to get a little weird, not working right. Stuff wasn't functioning the right way. And then sure enough, what's that result in? I'd been reliant on whatever I wanted, whatever I thought was going to satisfy, whatever I think was going to help me get through the first lockdown of COVID. And when I'm trying to sleep, I have my first ever anxiety attack. And it's because I had put my peace in my own, my, my own understanding. I put my peace not in obedience. I would put it in my, own, in my own practice. It wasn't obedience to Jesus. It was obedient to just whatever I thought was going to help. I was aimlessly wandering, trying to find my my way, find my peace, because I had lost it. And it wasn't until somebody who already had their peace, and knew where it came from, prayed for me and reminded me again. That's Zoe, by the way. She reminded me again. And this that may seem super trivial, but it's not. Because, again, if any of you have had an anxiety attack, and I'm sure some of you have, in the moment, whatever you're super anxious about feels so real. It feels like it is absolutely imminent, definitely going to happen, for sure. So it might sound silly now, because it even does to me a little bit. But as we're talking about peace, I thought of this scenario, the minute I knew I, knew I was going to talk about this, the minute I knew I was preaching on peace. I knew I was going to talk about the story because I like I'd never had that happen before in my life. But it was directly correlated to a lack of obedience. So, again, we'll look at those verse 24 into 25 and 27 or through 27. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me all this. I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So, what's the practical side of this? Our obedience measures how we keep our peace. I gave the example of my story about having an anxiety attack. Another great example is, again, staying really practical. I'm not, I, can't, I can't emphasize enough how much I don't want there to just be spiritual rah-rah about keeping your peace. It's, it does very little good. It sounds like a cool, hypey message for 30 minutes, and then you go home and have to live the other six days of the week. And you're like, well... That was cool on Sunday. It's no good here on Thursday while I'm at work. That, you know, that doesn't fly very well. A great, another great example is if you are having anxiety or you've gone through a traumatic experience or you're, you're hurting and still in pain from something, go to counseling. Like The practical stuff, being obedient will cost not just our spiritual life, but it will also cost the practical side of our life. So if we're dealing with trauma and we're dealing with pain, we're dealing with anxiety, we're dealing with loss. Practical stuff is just as necessary in keeping our peace. See a counselor, meet with one of your pastors, get some friends around you and have them pray for you or do all of it. Right. Keeping our peace isn't just spiritual rah-rah. Obedience isn't just how much time I spend in the secret place with Jesus. It's also am i spending time with my friends am i investing in my relationships well in whatever way is safe to do so i'm not going to you know promote breaking covid rules but am i am i seeing a counselor cuz i think something's wrong or i think I, I i i don't feel settled i don't feel at peace and i don't know why what should i do about it well seeing a counselor or a therapist is incredibly helpful their job is literally to sit there and listen and help you process through your stuff and help you find the root of why things are going on. Super helpful, right? Like, this is huge. So it's not just a spiritual expense. It's a practical one. But at the end of the day, our obedience measures how we keep our peace. And Jesus says it himself. I'm, you know, if I get flack for this, I'm cool with that because I can lean on this. And sometimes it's offensive And sometimes it hurts our feelings, but the world is going to keep tugging us towards self-independence and this toxic idea of it. And the gospel in Jesus just gently, quietly in love through the Holy spirit just tugs us towards, but obey me. We keep moving towards this place of being unsettled and living without peace. And it's just the world as we, lean towards this super toxic self-independence thing where obedience is I'm dependent on the Lord. I'm willing to ask for help. I'm willing to see a counselor. I'm willing to talk to my friends. I'm willing to be prayed for. The two things are so entirely different. One requires us to surrender and having discipline. The other one is entirely rooted in whatever we want and whatever we think is true and right. So keeping our peace during this time in Advent season is prominent now because we get to be reminded again during Christmas of the coming, the coming Christ, the coming Messiah and what that means. Jesus coming represents this very message to make a home. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Advent is the perfect season that reminds us that Jesus comes to make a home in us. And he did so in a way that we can understand born in a manger, a nasty stanky barn, <laughs> crucified on a cross, born to a, an exiled teenage mother an, an illegal immigrant at one point seeking asylum Listen, the dude relates, like Jesus relates. He knows how to. So when we talk about his peace, it's not some far-off, distant God. It's a current, very real thing, because he went through very current and real issues. So I'll close with this. We can't give something away that we don't experience. So in this Advent season... Keeping our, our peace is a returning to Jesus' teachings and his commands. And as we move through the rest of Advent and we move into joy and love, let's return to those moments with Jesus. Let's return to his coming. Let's return to his teachings. Let's return to the, the simple story of the nativity. It's really easy for us as Christians to gloss right over it because we've done it for so many years. But man, if we return and step back in to the significance of the coming Messiah, the peace of Jesus, man, following and being obedient becomes so much easier because we, we are remembering That Jesus isn't just some God that commands us to follow him or else. No, he's a very real, a very intentional, a very personal, relatable, current, relevant God and person. And the Holy Spirit that he lives, that he puts inside of us is the constant reminder of his closeness. So let's spend this holiday season returning to the coming Christ the God who doesn't give us a troubled heart and reminds us not to fear, the spirit that makes its home in us. Yeah. With that, I'll pray. Worship team, if you guys wanna come back up. One of the other things (laughs) I told Zoe that I might say some challenging things this morning. And she said, you're talking about peace and you're going to bring up conflict? <laughs> I said, no, no. I want to challenge but also bring comfort. So if you don't feel comforted this morning, I apologize. I do. and I, But at the same time, I want to pray now so that comfort may rest right now. I feel like we're we're going to sing a song called God, I Look to You, and I think it's a perfect space. And we're leaving some room right now to experience that closeness of Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about here, that making a home in us. Yeah. So if you're able, will you stand with me? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org/give.